Welcome to the podcast of Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. We hope that you enjoyed listening to the sermons and other audio provided by us. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it will be beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, we'll continue our series on the Sermon on the Mount. We'll be looking tonight at verses 13 through 16. And um, tonight uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about what, uh, how, what the Christian's relationship to the world should be. How is the, are Christians to relate to the world, to the culture around us? Um, this has been a, a question that, that Christians have asked for a long time. Um, in, in some ways... Uh, we stand firm in, in, a, in a stance that's against our culture in, in, in ways. Um, for instance, there are things about our culture that are, uh, that are very anti-Christ, very uh, against God. And, and uh, for instance, uh, when, when it comes to uh, gay marriage uh, or um, abortion, those are issues in which the church needs to not succumb, not to just give in to the culture around us, but we need to stand up and speak out against the tidal wave that is coming down on us in our culture. On the other hand, do we always need to stand against culture? Well, there are times whenever uh, there are things... Nothing is neutral. Everything has... Um, some kind of worldview behind it. But there are times, I think, whenever we can adopt certain things from our culture in order to be able to communicate the gospel in better ways. For instance, uh, the music that we sing. We wouldn't say that we are stuck only singing the Psalms or only singing music that is only five or six hundred years old. But we sing things that are new and fresh, and sometimes we like to sing things that are old in a new way. That's, that's what I like to do. I like to take the old, rich hymns and find new, fresh ways to sing them. And that's a way that we, we actually kind of adopt things from our culture, the style of music, without changing the message. But Jesus here, he's talking about something maybe a little bit different um, Jesus uses three images to, to, to show how a Christian, how Christianity, how believers are to interact with the society at large. He says we are salt, he says we're light, and he says we're a city on the hill. So we're going to look at those things after we read our scripture. So from Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 13, he says, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor can people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all those who are in the house. 
In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we pray that you would give us ears to hear. Lord, because if you don't give us ears to hear, we will resist. We will be stubborn and we will want to continue to just do things our own way. Lord, we pray you would give us ears to hear that we might be conformed more into your image as we lay our eyes upon your word. Lord, we pray that you would give us eyes to see that we might behold your glory on these pages. Lord, be with me. Lord, a, a sinner. Lord, often I'm, I'm, I've been affected too much by my culture. Lord, help me. Lord, to be strong, to preach your word, to be faithful. Not to be afraid. I need your grace as I preach, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. First, Jesus says that we are salt. What does he mean by that? I think if we've grown up in church, and many of us, most of us have, we've heard different explanations about this, and typically what we'll, what we'll hear, are, are, it comes down to basically two ideas. And I'm not really challenging those, but this, this, is, what, this is what they are. First of all, salt um, has a preservative effect. People in the ancient world, they didn't have uh, refrigerators like we do today. So whenever, um, whenever uh, you, you killed an animal, you had meat, what do you do to preserve that so it doesn't go bad? You, you put salt on it. It has that preservative effect. And so many have said that uh, in... That Christians are like salt in that way that we have a preservative effect. We look at the world. We look ever since Genesis chapter 3. The world is a broken place where we experience death. We experience sickness. We experience pain. We experience all the things of a broken world. A world that is under the curse. Waiting for the redemption that comes in Christ Jesus. And so, this idea would be that the church believers are something that slows down the decay of our culture. You know, this has often been something that we've talked about, uh, not necessarily us, but, but we hear in Christian circles about how the church is a preserving agent and how, how Western civilization is just crumbling at its core. And how the church being there kind of slows that crumbling down and it makes, makes it more preserved. We're preserving kind of a Christian culture. I'm going to basically say right now, I think there are merits to that argument. But I don't know that that's what Jesus was getting to. Here. I think, you know, if, if you've heard someone preach that before, that's fine. That's great. Uh, I think it's very possible. But I don't know that that's the primary thing that Jesus is getting at here. And this, this is the reason. The early church was a small group. 
The early church did not have the influence that, that it had 1,500 years later. Whenever Western civilization was just completely taken over by, by a Christian influence. No, it was small. It didn't have a preserving agent. It was rather something that produced a positive good. You think of, of all the things we have today that are because of the influence of Christianity. The hospitals, just for one sake. Think of all the hospitals you know of and how many of them have some kind of, of church association. Things like, uh, well, in, in Greenville, we've got Holy Family Hospital. It's a Catholic hospital. You know, we, we've got uh, St. Joseph's. We've got St. Jude's Hospital. All these things because of the influence of Christianity. It's been a positive good. Now, here's the other take. If it's not preserving, it's, it's giving it flavor. It's giving it taste. What do we use salt for today? What, the same thing they used salt for back then. It's to give our food flavor. We like it to season it. You know, I just grilled some steaks for lunch today. We rubbed it down with some salt and pepper, and oh, it just brings out the flavor. It makes it taste so good. And that's what Christians do to the world around us. We make the world around us a better place because believers in Jesus, disciples of Jesus, are here. That's what we need to be about. The pastor, I think, that's had a lot of great influence on me, Mark Clifton, and he, he, he talks about... Um, he, he's a, a, a church replanter that goes in and, and works with churches that have, have died or are dying and helps them replant or, or re-envision and get, get connected again with the, the gospel and the mission and be able to turn things around. And, and he says, we need to define discipleship as when our, our believers, when our members are are making disciples who make disciples who then make our communities better, noticeably better, because the church is here. That's, that's what we need to be. We need to make Panama a better place because the church is here. Because God's people, believers, are here making a difference in the community. And that way we are salt. We season this community. And we make it a better place because we're here. That's why I wanted to help get involved in things like the, uh, the um, Easter egg hunt. That's why we invited the, the AA group to come and, and meet in our building. On, and they, they've been going for about a month and a half now. We're not getting necessarily any benefit for us. But it's something that's helping to make the community a better place. And that's why we're, we've invited a, a team to come in and do power washing around our community. We're not going to get anything from it necessarily. We might not have anybody come and join our church because of it. But we want to make the community a better place because believers are here. We want God to get all the glory for it. Well, that's salt. Then Jesus says that we are light, and, and he kind of mixes metaphors. He says we're light, and then we're a city on a hill. And I'm going to talk about those two things together. First, we're a city on a hill, and how is that related to light? Well, imagine you're out in the dark, traveling, and 
by horse or by camel or by something back in Jesus' day. You're traveling from one city to another city and it's dark. And off in the distance you see this glow. It's a city. It's a city on a hill. And you can see this glow, not because they didn't have electrical lights like we have today. They didn't have all those things, but they had um, fires burning. They had torches. They had lamps. They had all of those things. And it was this city on a hill that was a comforting idea. We, We, as believers, we are a city on a hill. And when all the world around us is darkness... We're there, and you can't hide us. You can't hide the believers. At least that's the way we should be. We are a city on a hill where where people, they see the influence of Christianity. They see what we have done. They see our good works, and they glorify God because of it, as we're going to get down to in in a few minutes. He talks about us being a city on a hill, and he talks about us being a lamp. You wouldn't take a, a lamp and put a basket over it. Now, just for argument's sake, let's just think about that now. You know, we could have a little flashlight, and for argument's sake, we might just be playing some kind of a game or something. We'll take a take a flashlight, we'll cover it with some kind of a a, land, a, a basket or a bowl or something like that, just for argument's sake, we might do that. Why wouldn't somebody in the ancient world do that? They couldn't just turn on a switch. They couldn't just flip a button or anything like that to be able to turn on their lights. We're talking about a lamp, an oil lamp. It's a, it's a precious commodity. You wouldn't light a lamp, an oil lamp that's going to burn up your necessary fuel and then cover it up. In the same way, we are a light of the world. That, that, and we're not to try to cover our light. We're not to be ashamed of who we are as Christians. We're not to be ashamed of the gospel. We're not to be ashamed. But we're supposed to let our light shine. Just think about the old song we all grew up singing. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Won't let Satan blow it out. I'm going to let it shine. Won't let Satan blow it out. I'm going to let it shine. Won't let Satan blow it out. I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. No! no. I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. No! no. I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. No. I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. All right, pat yourself on the back. <laughs> All right. No! We don't hide our light. We let it shine. And Jesus here says, let your light shine. Verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We are to be salt. We are to be light. We are to be like a city on the hill and we don't hide our light. We do our good works before men so that they see our good works 
and glorify our Father in heaven. Now, maybe, wait a minute. Maybe you're sitting there with a question. Maybe you're scratching your head and wondering, well, I, I know Jesus says over here something else. In fact, it's just the next page in my Bible. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 1 says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Okay, we've got to work this out. Which is it, Jesus? Do we let our light shine and do our works, our good works, before men so that they see them? Or do we have to be aware of that? Do we need to do everything hidden? I think it comes down to our heart motivation. What is motivating us to do something? Do we do our good works before men so that they give glory to God? Or do we do our good works before men so that they give glory to me? It's our heart motivation. So, here's a problem. We're all sinners. We all have mixed motives. Every single one of us. Maybe. We, we really want to give glory to God because of our good works, with, with our good works. We want to give glory to God by, you know, uh, power washing houses here in Panama. We want to give glory to God. We want people to see what we're doing and give glory to God because of it. But maybe, down in the deep recesses of our hearts, we think, you know, if we do that, people are going to look well on us. We're all sinners. It's part of the human condition that we have mixed motives. What do we do? Jesus says, beware. He says, don't. He doesn't say, don't do your good works before men. He says, beware of it. We need to know there's a reality there where we can get sucked in into doing things because we like the attention, because we like how it makes other people see us. So here's a check. Here's a, here's a test. First of all, I'm going to say, well, let me back up. I always have to do this. At least I did it the last time I preached this message. What do we do when we know we have mixed motives? We always have mixed motives. What do we do? We confess that. We acknowledge it. I'm a sinner, and though I want to see your glory, God, I have mixed motives. Lord, purge my heart. Make me... Make me pure. Make, help me to want to do this for your glory and not my own. Lord, let you be the one who receives all the glory and not me. Let that be our prayer when we do our good works before men. That's one way that we can deal with this. And here's a heart check. How can we tell? How can we tell what our motives are? Well, there's, there's one test. Do we get offended when we don't get recognition for what we've done. If we do something that's a good work, and no one says thank you, no one recognizes us, are we offended by that? That can reveal what our heart motivation is. If we are wanting to do it for God's glory alone, 
And not for our own. I don't think we'll get offended by it whenever we don't get recognition. The other thing is, do we get offended? Do we get hurt when someone else gets recognized and we don't? That's another way we can tell. Are we doing this for God's glory or for ours? If someone else gets all the credit, we can sit back and say, thank you. I didn't want the glory anyway. It was for you, Lord. That's our heart check. How how do we know what our primary motivation is? But ultimately, because we're sinners, because we live in in a Genesis 3 world, we're all going to have to say, Lord, I have mixed motives. Help me. Help me to turn away from my selfish desires for recognition so that I'm doing these good works for Your glory. I'm going to give an example of a church that worked together and did something that was so amazing that it it had to make people glorify God because of it, it, what they did was simply a miracle. Uh, this is a church in Alabama, your country. <laughs> uh, uh, the church at Brook Hills. Um, David Platt, who is now the president of the International Mission Board, uh, whenever he was the pastor there, um, this is a story he tells about what, um, what they did. One day, I'm, I'm reading what he says. One day, I called up the Department of Human Resources in Shelby County, Alabama, where our church is located, and asked, how many families would you need in order to take care of all the foster and adoption needs that we have in our county? The woman I was talking to laughed. I said, no, really, if a miracle were to take place, how many families would be sufficient to cover all the different needs you have? She replied, well, it would be a miracle if we had 150 more families signed up to help with foster care. When I shared this conversation with our church, over 160 families signed up to help with foster care and adoption. We don't even want one child in our county to be without a loving home. It's not the way of the American dream. It doesn't add to our comfort, prosperity, or ease. But we are discovering the indescribable joy of sacrificial love for others. And along the way, we are learning more about the inexpressible wonder of God's sacrificial love for us. Nothing can explain that but Jesus. Nothing can explain that but Jesus. How Jesus makes that change in us. When we trust in Him, He changes our hearts and it makes us go out and we are zealous for good works. As Titus said, as Titus said, we are, um, God, God has saved us. He has washed us in order to make for Himself a people who are zealous for good works. We looked at that when we, when we, when I preached through the book of Titus. And in, um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get this wrong, but I think it's in Ephesians. You know, um, the, uh, Paul says, we are uh, created... Uh, I'm drawing a blank. Um, we are... <laughs> anyway, we, we are created to do good works. We, we are saved to do good works. I'll have to look it up later. I didn't have it in my notes. Oh well. We'll move on. 
God has saved us unto good works. He didn't save us because of our good works. We don't do our good works so that we can gain His forgiveness, His grace. We've got to keep that straight. We, we, and I, I've labored more over and over and over again in the past. We are not saved because we're good. We're not saved because of our good works. We're saved because of the blood of Jesus. We're saved because He died for us. And we trust in Him. And He gives us His righteousness to us. So, Jesus gave up the riches of heaven. And became poor. Became destitute. So that we might have all the riches of Him. All the riches of God's kingdom. He has been overwhelmingly generous to us. So what can motivate works like that? It's recognizing what Jesus has done for us. It's saying He has been so generous to us that we can't help but then turn around and do good works and then we Reflect all the glory to Him. When someone says, I can't believe that you've done such a thing, we just tell them, you know, we've just experienced so much that Jesus has done for us, we want to give it to our community. We want you to know the love of Jesus. So, Jesus says, we are to be salt we're to make our communities better places because we're here. We are to be light. We're not to hide our light under a bushel. We're to be a city on a hill. We're to be all those things to bring glory to God. Not for us, but for Him. What a wonderful God that we have. He's taken us, sinners, and given us a ministry of reconciliation, given us a ministry and made us a people who are zealous for good works, and we are to make our communities better places because the people who love Jesus are here. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. For more information, please visit us at RedeemerBaptistPanama.wordpress.com or you can like us on Facebook.